You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. It's me every time I, I listen to it. It's the, the phrase that he won't relent, that he is um, a pursuing God. And to think about that, the idea that God chases after us. Um, How many of you have been shopping during the last two weeks? Some of you don't raise your hands just because you don't raise your hands in church. You're Baptist, you go, I ain't doing it. I, I know how that works, but a lot of you have been shopping. And you know what it means when I say you are chasing after that perfect gift and and you go just about anywhere. Uh, Becca and I went out yesterday, and we headed toward um, Alamance and headed out to the outlets. Ooh, yeah. Um, we, we pulled in, and I thought, you know what? I never do this first turn. I'll take the first turn, and I'll pull in. Certainly, there won't be as much crowd there as there will be down the other section. And so we pulled in, and lo and behold, we got into the parking lot and then couldn't move. Um, there was probably seven cars between us and the first stop sign, and we watched cars, and then we watched a car, and, and I promise, I, and Becky, you can like yell at me if I'm telling a lie here, but there was a car that pulled in next to another car, and they were that close. And, and we just kind of watched it, and I went, and, and Becca said, the guy in that SUV is going to be mad, um, because there is, there is no way, I mean, even when I was at my skinniest, that wasn't enough room. And so we, we just watched it. It was kind of chaotic, but it, everybody was in search of something that they, they wanted. They were pursuing something. And what does it mean for God to pursue us? What does it, does it mean for God to, to be ruthless in pursuing us in relationship? Now, we, we talk about... Um, during this time of year, this idea of Christmas crazy. You know, well, what is Christmas crazy? And, and if I were to say that to you, what is Christmas crazy? What comes to mind? Well, maybe that parking lot at the outlet mall. That's possible. But what else comes to mind when you think Christmas crazy? Walmart. <laughs> Walmart. There you go. Um, yeah. Pardon? Expectations. Expectations. All right. It, it may be dinner with relatives. I mean, there's, that may be a possibility. It could be, um, it could be the, the crowds and all these things. It could be that somebody's house is decorated more than is normal. And that you may go, okay, that's a, uh, like a Christmas vacation kind of crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Or Christmas with the cranks or one of those kind of, kind of movies. And we talk about Christmas crazy. And you could define Christmas crazy by some of those. And and we even know some people that have a mindset that it's never too early to start decorating. Like like mid-October is good for Christmas decorating. And and yet there are others that may say Christmas is filled with traps. Um, Traps that we kind of fall into as we go through the season. And so whether it's Christmas crazy as travel or gifts or meals or relatives, um, there's a whole lot of reason to throw up caution tape around the idea of Christmas. 
Because we've got to watch for those places where we may step where it's not good. See, Christmas is both an event and it's a season. When we consider the context of Christmas against the context of our culture today, we might say that we exist in a world that it's anything but peace-filled. Just looking at the mall, you can say it's not peace-filled. Yet that is the, the proclamation that we find. And, and we even think that in, in singing through the carols at Christmas, and, and you hear those, and it seems that so many of them are filled with this idea of peace and quiet and calm. But I want to tell you that the Christmas, really even our Christmas and the first Christmas, was probably anything but that. So the context of Christmas was a census decree. And Mary and Joseph make this trip to Bethlehem based on that decree. And it wasn't a decree just for them to show up. Like they didn't get in their, in their car and drive somewhere without any traffic. The, the roads were packed. Because the, as the census went out, everybody went to their place of origin. And their place was Bethlehem. And so the roads were packed. The, there was a hustle and bustle all around. And they weren't shopping at K-Jewelers or all the rest of it. They were just looking for places to stay so that they could fulfill what the government had asked them to do. So there was a census decree that brought them into Bethlehem. And maybe that's the first Christmas traffic jam. Maybe. And then packing and, and packing and then getting to where they were going and and not having a place to stay. There was no Travelocity or Travago or any of the other sites that we go on when we want to go somewhere to make a reservation. They didn't have that. They just showed up and looked. And it, yet there was no place for them. They ended up in a barnyard, a, a stable. And so their accommodations were less than perfect. It wasn't even Motel 6 or, or some other chain. It was far off that grid. And yet it wasn't a place necessarily of peace and quiet. A barn is ne not necessarily a place where it's, it's calm and just there. It was probably a little less than, less than quiet. It wasn't the perfect place for a birth to take place. It wasn't the ideal location or the ideal circumstances that brought a couple to stay in a, in a stable and for a child to be born in unsanitary conditions. There's nothing perfect about the scenario, but it is what God had ordained. I want you to listen to Luke chapter 2, and this is what I want you to do. You can turn to it, turn to it really quick, and then um, we're going to go through Luke chapter 2, and I want you to listen very carefully to the words that are spoken as we go through it. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1.
Let's pray. Father, as we have come into this place and considered your chasing us, and at the same time as we've read the story of Christmas, realizing that, that it was a situation where peace was maybe hard to even comprehend. Father, I pray that you'll help us to realize what true peace is. And Father, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, Father, help us to, to remember what all that meant, that you were chasing us to give us peace for not just here, but peace for eternity. And so God, continue to teach us this morning. Guide us, help us to, to focus on you that we may hear your voice this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you heard it. It's a story that is really familiar to us. It's a story that can be filled with a lot of hustle and bustle, but it's also filled with those moments of declaration and proclamation from, from angels and a gathering around a baby that, that is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, that, that God of all creation come into the presence of humanity. When we read about that, it's... Um, and think about our culture and even the surroundings of that context, we understand that it's easy to fill our lives with some kind of artificial peace. So first thing I want us to understand is there is an artificial peace. Now we, we sing about it, but there was an artificial peace just in, in some of Scripture. Let me read something to you out of Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, starting at verse 14. It says this, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. They were ashamed because of the abomination they have done. They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. And at the time that I will punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. See, it's, it's easy for us to, to yell peace. Yet, if we take a look at reality, we understand that apart from Christ, there is no peace. And what was happening in Jeremiah is Jeremiah was proclaiming what God said, and it was a, a message that did not have peace in the middle of it. It was a, a harsh message for the people because he was calling them back to himself. And what the other prophets around, false prophets, were saying is, hey, it's okay. God's not mad at you. God's not angry with you. God's not going to bring judgment. Everything is good. Have peace. And what Jeremiah records here, he says, although that may be the declaration to the nation from these false prophets, understand God is not pleased. And so they were calling an artificial peace, and Jeremiah was saying, there's no peace at all because there is strife and enmity between you and God. It was a false narrative. This week, if you've read and kept up with the things, and, and I mentioned the Hallmark Channel last week, and, and this whole idea of Hallmark movies and all that kind of stuff. And if you kept up with it, you know that there was some controversy surrounding the Hallmark Channel and the commercials they were putting on. The response by a group that, that 
said that's not a right thing to do. And then the response of the CEO of Hallmark Cards Incorporated to say, hey, we're not only going to do that, but we're going to put commercials like that on and we're going to promote that lifestyle within our movies. And say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can you do that? Well, I think there's two things in play here. One, we cannot expect the world that doesn't know Christ to act like they do. So, so let's not... Let, let, we can put up a, uh, an idea or a thing about that and say, hey, we disagree with you and we disagree strongly with your stance and we don't want you to do that. And so you may choose, hey, we're going to not watch Hallmark anymore. Or there's a, one that came out, I guess, last night or whatever. I got an email about it. Let's not watch Netflix. Whatever it happens to be, understand the world does, the, that does not know Christ is not going to act like they do. And we can let our voices be known in the middle of that, but don't expect, apart from Christ, that behavior to change and come in line with what we would consider Christ-like behavior. And so we look at, even in that case, we can look at the biblical definition of marriage and say it's between one man and one woman for life and anything outside the bounds and, and decrees of Scripture regarding marriage is sin. And so we don't need to be satisfied with a different definition of what marriage is because that's what the world ascribes to. And so this, this idea of everything is good because it's love does not represent what Scripture says. And so in that case, it's as just as if those false prophets were saying, peace, peace, it's all good. It's all about love, Right? And we would be uh, with Jeremiah and say, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is not pleased with that. So don't think God is pleased with that. Don't be deceived by that. Sin broke the peace or the shalom of the Garden of Eden. And it breaks our world. And so although we may look at Scripture and say that that peace is part of that proclamation of Luke 2, 14, where he says that peace in, to, to men to whom God is pleased, understand that peace is not there apart from Christ. That is a, the peace declared in 2, 14 is the shalom peace. It is both a temporary peace. In this world, we're going to have tribulation, but God brings peace. And look at Matthew 6, and then there is a degree of permanent peace that is declared by the angels as well. And it's something we find in Revelation 21. It's a, a peace that says that the lion and the lamb will lie down together. It's a peace at the consummation of all of history where God brings it together and says, it's all peace under me, but it's always under the lordship of Christ. And so, Peace may elude us just in general. We may go to a relative's house or have them into our house or fight the traffic or all those kind of things. And we'd say peace is not around. And we even hear folks declaring an artificial peace. But I want to tell you that peace is available through Jesus Christ. Second thing, not an artificial peace, but there's also an activating peace. True peace that comes through the reign of Jesus Isaiah 9, 7 says this, There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. 
Uh, that's the passage that follows that unto you will be born somebody who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And the government, to the end of his government, there will, or of peace, there will be no end. Isaiah 9, 7. Romans 5, 1 and 2 tells us about this activating peace, about what that looks like. And this is what it says. It says, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace, in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. You look at that and you say, okay, wait a minute. There wasn't peace, but God provided for peace? Yeah. God provided for peace through Jesus Christ. He fixed what was broken. When we used to share in faith, doing faith outreach, we would, we would make statements like that there was a problem and it was that man was separated from God and man did not have the ability to fix that problem. But God provided a solution. By sending Jesus Christ as a baby who lived a perfect life, who went to a cross and shed his blood for us and then rose again. And by God's work, that, that strife and that enmity, that, that alienation of man from God was fixed. And man could be brought together back with God. This, this passage in Romans 5 says, Therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that word through means a channel or a channel of an act. And that channel of an act is just Christ being the conduit of salvation, the free gift of God. Yet it's not automatic. So you can have a family that worships God and people in that family that have a relationship with God, but you rubbing elbows with them over the holiday season will not make you a Christian. Neither will your faith rub off on somebody that doesn't accept Christ and then be okay with God. There is a, you may say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't, I don't know if I understand that. Now you can share your faith, but they've got to receive it personally. They've got to activate that peace in their own life by receiving what God has done for them and receiving the forgiveness available through Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen automatically. This idea of introduction by faith is a starting position for us. We receive Christ and we apply faith and have mercy and grace applied to us. And it's a, a point at which we receive Christ as Savior. It's an introduction that is supposed to begin a relationship where we grow in our relationship to God. It's a maturing this is what Leon Morris said. He said, peace means the defeat of evil. Peace means breaking down the barrier between man and God. Peace means the presence of God's rich and abundant blessing. Peace is the presence, the presence of God. Christ is our peace. Michael Byrd in, in his theology Book, he writes this, he says, Jesus brings people into the saving reign of God 
which makes them sons and daughters of God's kingdom and so fulfills the promises given to Abraham, David, and expounded by the prophets. So we, we can have an activating faith by giving our life and surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. There's an activating faith. So in a world of artificial peace, there's an activating peace that can take place. The third thing is there's an abiding peace. John 16, says this, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. So as Jesus says this, he says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Well, Jesus didn't pull them out of it, out of the world, did he? When you got saved, did the world around you stop? No. We still live in the middle of chaos, don't we? And yet, there's this offer of peace that comes through, through Jesus Christ. I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. There is a in the world, but not of the world. There's this part of our life that finds our peace in Christ in the middle of chaos. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says this, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. There are two sides to abiding peace. First one is personal ownership. If I were to go around the room and ask you, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Do you have a personal peace? How would you answer that? Not, not because there's lack of chaos in your life, but have you trusted Christ? Psalm 85, 6 through 8 says, Will you not yourself revive us again, talking to God, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people and to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. When the psalmist writes that, he's, he's reminding us that God speaks peace through salvation. But we always have the uh, kind of the option of turning away from God and forgetting that peace is in Christ. Matthew 10, 32 through 39. And I'm not going to read the whole passage. But it's a, it's a passage that when we read it, we go, I have struggled with that because it talks about the way Jesus came. It says in verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So how do we reconcile that with this idea that peace among men is brought at the time of Jesus' birth? How do we put those together? Because to me, when I read it, just on the surface, it looks like a contradiction. That Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but Him coming brings peace. That doesn't, even, that doesn't seem to make sense. But we understand, as you read that passage, this is a passage that talks about an allegiance to Christ. And when we are sold out to Christ, our life is going to be different. And sometimes that will create some tension and rub folks wrong because 
we want to follow Christ with all our heart. It's when we look exactly like the world that we fall into the trap of artificial peace. We ought to look different. It says in verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So the question, is Jesus contradicting, contradicting the proclamation of the shepherds? I don't think so. I think what Jesus is saying in essence that, and it's what the angels declared, is that peace is available through Jesus. And, and it's a different kind of peace than just getting along with those around you. It's a peace that, that goes beyond that. The second part of this abiding peace is public generosity. This is what Isaiah 52.7 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring goods, brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. So how does Jesus' birth create peace or bring peace? This is what Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That word pleased means desire or longing. It's the absence of something, but knowing something is missing. Have you ever had one of those situations where you're putting something together and you get down and all the parts are gone? And you still don't have it together. The instructions call for it, but you don't have it. And so you look for it. And in, in a frantic way, you seem to, to look under what you've built, around what you've built. You may have dropped it, it may have rolled away, whatever. But you understand that it's missing. And, and this idea here is that there's a longing that exists within us to know God, but we fill, God, fill that void with everything but God. And the reality is we understand that it is only God that fills that. And we need to, we need to submit to that or, or surrender to that. That God is the only one that can fill our need for true peace. I was reading the story of another hymn. It's in our hymnal. I don't know what number it is, and I'm not going to ask you to do it because I'm going to put you in that spot. Um, but I heard the bells. And I, I know that you may be familiar with that. I heard the bells on Christmas Day from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And if you know the story, um, it, it's kind of a tragic story. Um, two years before he wrote the poem, which later became the music piece, his wife was, was burned. She, she died from a fire. She was doing some work at home and her dress caught fire and she frantically ran into where Henry Longfellow was hanging out and he tried to put out the fire. Eventually, two days later, it killed her. The result of the fire killed her and he was badly burned. Two years after that, in 1863, his son, who wanted to serve in the Civil War, took off and went to battle, although he was not old enough to be there. And he went, 
They got permission for him to be there even though he was young. He came home, was sick, and which kept him out of the battle of, of Gettysburg, but went back to the battlefield. And in, um, in November 27th of 19, 1863, in the Battle of Mine Run, he was shot. And he was shot in such a way that there was the possibility of him being paralyzed. And that news came to Longfellow. And eventually, um, Charles Appleton Wadsworth was okay. However, just the idea of what was going on in, in Longfellow's life was crazy. And this is, that's the, the context of why he wrote this. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And, and thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But what he had heard is he heard the bells of the local church chiming out as they had always done, and even in the midst of his heartache and grief over his wife and, and the possibility of his son being paralyzed, he wrote, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It, you know, if we just stop there, in the middle of all that, as he writes, just understanding, as the world continues to go on, I hear the bells, nothing has changed, and my world is falling apart. In my world, there is no peace. And several of us could say that. In my world, there is no peace. And we could pen words just like Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and declare that around me life is chaotic. I don't see it. I don't feel it. And it seems that the peace that is proclaimed to the shepherds escapes me. And this is how it concludes. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How can he write that? How can he write it? I wonder what his face looked like as he penned that. Just like Horatio Spafford wrote when he wrote, It is well with my soul, here Longfellow writes, and both of them write out of tragedy. And my guess is their face shone with the weariness of, of enduring the chaos around them and the hurt and the pain. Yet both of them, both of those men declare that God is bigger than their circumstances. And as I rest in God and in Christ, I understand that there can be peace. Longfellow penned this poem that catches the essence of a peace that transcends circumstance. Just as we talked about last week with the joy that transcends it as well. There is joy and peace in Christ. And there may not have been joy and peace in the scene of the manger, but there is joy in Christ, or joy in Christ in the person of the manger. 
So today, you need to hear that the only way you'll experience true peace is by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's the only way to experience it and realize the forgiveness that God offers. And so some of you are in here and don't have a relationship with Christ. And I want to encourage you that you can seek all day long, every single year. But until you turn your life over to Christ, you will always be searching for something that you will never find anywhere else. Trust Christ this morning. Some of us in here, we are either in the midst of chaos or over the next several days, we're looking forward to chaos. And I want to tell you the altar is open. And maybe you just need to come pray. Say, our family's getting together and I don't know what that looks like. We're going to avoid politics and religion as a conversation piece. But I need to come so that the peace of Christ will surround my heart and my circumstances. And you may just want to come to the altar and pray. Some of you need to join this fellowship and commit your lives here in this local church body and become part of this body that seeks to make a difference around us, to take the peace of Christ outside the walls of this church. And so I want us to pray, and then the altar will be open. I'll be in the front. If you'd like to receive Christ, we can have that conversation. Some of you may want to join this morning. But when we give you that opportunity and when the invitation's over, we're going to stop for a few moments and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So would you pray with me and then we'll stand, have a time of commitment and continue in our service. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. 